Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. When it comes to racial equity these days, America's fractured political divides seem to have taken over and grouped us into camps. Some feel such talk stirs up bad feelings and tries to make people of privilege feel ashamed. Others, by far the majority, agree that diversity is a plus for society and something to be encouraged. But what happens when those principles are put into practice? Maybe not much. Well, this week, we're going to talk about race, equity, and the arts. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guests this weekend uh, include Nina Sanchez. She is director of Enrich Chicago. It's a movement of people within arts and cultural institutions who are dedicated to ending racism. And we are also joined by Dr. Antung Daosha. She is a lead researcher for a study that's just been done. And her uh, she is the head of a research firm called Creative Equity Research Partners that does this kind of stuff, frankly. Enrich Chicago is an organization that works with theater companies, museums, and other entities to help them increase diversity in their work, public and otherwise. Uh, What might surprise you is what's happened amid all the conversations and action plans. We have talked about issues of race and the arts before uh, with Nina Sanchez. And uh, Nina Sanchez, welcome back. And uh, Dr. Uh, Antang Daosha, welcome. And it's good to have you both. I'm going to start with Nina, a question to put all of this in context. Why is it important for there to be diversity and equity in the fields of culture and the arts. And let's face it, in you know, there are people who feel that culture and culture and arts are luxuries. Mm. Well, thanks for that question, um, Craig, and thanks for having me uh, back on the show today. Um, I think that if we learned anything in the pandemic, it is that the arts are essential. And as we huddled into our homes with our various um, community and family members in in relative um, isolation from people, uh, the arts were what was the lifeblood and helped to sustain us emotionally, spiritually, um, and and in really important ways. And so, uh, the reason why racial equity and and anti racism are essential in the arts space um, is because the arts and culture have um, 
they have the microphone, so to speak. They the power of narrative building um, and world building lie across the disciplines in the arts and culture sector. And so when the stories we're telling um, aren't encompassing the the full depth and breadth of human experience, we are all missing out. And some of us are being um, harmed in really active ways, and all of us are being harmed by a lack of access to to those stories, those histories, and understanding how our cultural lifeways came to be in this diverse society, and and in Chicago in particular, which is an incredibly diverse city. Mm. What prompted this study? What did you see happening in the arts community that you felt needed to be documented? This study was a long time coming. In the height of uh, the racial uh, injustice and uprisings in the summer of 2020, it was actually another leader in the arts who called me and said, you know, there's all these statements being put in the world and I know my institution and many others affiliated with within Rich Chicago have committed to doing this work for some time now. And it is uh, an opportunity for us to think about if we were to ask people of color what their experiences are, what would they say? How would they grade our efforts? And while we didn't have the opportunity to act on it at that time, it stayed with me. Um, it stayed with me as something that is Uh, an approach that's very much in alignment with the ethos of the work that we do, which is that we have to be accountable to communities that are most impacted by systemic inequity. And the way we're accountable to those communities is by being uh, transparent about the work that we're doing um, and maintaining uh, robust connections to them. And so uh, I spent time on and off over the course of the last three years, searching out research firms who might be able to help us with such a project, making sure that Enrich Chicago as an institution had the resources to bring that project to fruition. And um, I'd held for a long time in my back pocket, Creative Equity Research Partners, because I had come across another study that they had done um, actually in Oakland. And I was just so impressed by the quality of the work and uh, the way they presented uh, the information uh, that was germane to that particular research project. And so I thought to myself, it is time, it is it is high time that we we do some of this work. We talk about um, racial equity and anti-racism as generational work, and that is true. It happens uh, often incrementally over long periods of time, and yet there have to be markers along the way, and we have seen markers and outcomes along the way in our work within Rich Chicago member organizations that these um, efforts can and are can be and are effective. So how do we take a pulse check this moment in time when the public dialogue around uh, racial equity, justice, and things like affirmative action is so divisive, is scaring folks away, um, and uh, just get regrounded in, in the why of why we're doing what we're doing and the how of how we might continue to do that work and, and lean in even further. Well, I could not have written a better transition <laughs> to uh, to introducing uh, Dr. An Tang Dao Sha, and thank you for and let's talk about the kind of work you do and really how do you even go about this, studying uh, racial equity in an atmosphere like the arts? Yeah. Um. Good morning. Um. Thank you so much for having me here today. Um, and thank you, Nina, for, for taking the step in reaching out. I actually have been a fan of Enrich Chicago for a very long time. 
I know um, the founder, Angelique Powers, from, you know, a previous life in another job. And um, I always thought that the way that Enrich Chicago approached different issues is very innovative um, and very conducive to to this kind of, uh, of uh, inquiries, in my opinion. Um, it's very hard to measure uh, racial equity impact, um, primarily because uh, you are trying to measure changes around issues that have been here for centuries, that people have been pushing for for a very long time. But the framework for how organizations are doing it um, is really very new. So um, most organizations started really looking at it as part of their organization's work since June of 2020 because of the push both internally from their own employees and externally from the society expecting organizations to have a point of view on the issue. Um, creative equity research partners believe that arts and culture are powerful tools in pushing for um, justice um, and a more uh, equitable world and society for us to all live in. But we also believe that there's a lot of work to be done within the arts, right? And so how do we make sure that the people who are pushing for change, creating these tools are also being treated with respect, that they feel the psychological safety in order to come to work and continue to produce and be creative. Um, so when when Nina reached out, um, one thing that that for me is fundamental is that we cannot do this work in isolation. So it's not going to be creative equity research partners. And I do want to uh, give a shout out to my co-researcher, uh, Asif Machid. Um, so together we we sat down and we said um, to Nina, like this is not going to be uh, on and uh, Asif coming in and being the expert that we really need to work very closely with the people who are going to be most impacted. Um, so we um, asked Nina for contact for a group of who we call a community advisory group. So these are the people who are who identify as BIPOC, who are members and employees of the organizations that belong to Enbridge Chicago. And together we share with them, here's our vision, here's how we think about measuring it. Um, here are the different areas that we could look into to see whether there has been movement. Um, and then together we created this tool, the survey, right? And it was a very um, repetitive process where we, we come up with a proposal, we come to them, we workshop it. They provide us with a lot of feedback and very um, direct comment on like, you know what, this question might trigger um, some feelings in some of folks. Will they feel safe answering this question? How are you using uh, intentional language to ask those questions, but also keep in mind that um, for some, a question that seems very benign could bring up very painful memories and experiences that they might or might not want to share, but we need to know, right? So um, in the end, we came up with um, 17 questions that uh, I think um, give us a proxy to how people are feeling in their own organization. Um, it focuses on self. So we ask questions about, are you being fairly compensated if you are being asked to bring your, not just work experience, but also life experience um, into your job? Um, how, what is your daily experience? Do you experience micro, macro aggression? And do you feel psychologically safe coming into uh, your job? And we also ask about organization. Um, what is the impact there? Do you see the commitment? Do you see the transparency to the commitment? And have you seen changes in practice and policy? And then lastly, but not least, and I think um, ultimately this is everything that we do, right? We do um, racial equity work in order to see changes in our own community. So one of the key questions for us is, has there been 
resource redistribution? Have there been more programs and funding going into the communities um, that are BIPOC and, and historically marginalized and oppressed? Um, and do you know, can you see it right from your own vantage point as a, as a worker in an arts organization? Um, so together, those questions allow us to paint a snapshot of what is going on um, after the the um, after what I would say the the awakening right that led to a number of organizations declaring that they are now investing in racial equity. And before we go further, if uh, you hear the term BIPOC uh, uh, referred to in this discussion, we are talking about Black and Indigenous people of color. Uh, uh, and um, Dr. An, I want to also. Uh, Asked, did every arts organization allied with uh, Enrich Chicago? I mean, were all the organizations on board and and participating in this? So we did track the uh, the organizations, and um, uh, I uh, I made Nina do a lot of work in um, personalized outreach um, to make sure that we have representatives. So I think overall we have about eighty five percent participation from all the organizations. Some organizations are very small. So that is also the other piece that I would like to uh, to note that um, the number of um, employees who identify as BIPOC in some organizations are very small. So if you are, let's say, two out of 16 in an organization, people might be very hesitant to fill out that survey because it will be very apparent that an opinion, for example, comes from them, even though we don't collect um, uh, contact information that would that would allow us to identify who fill out that survey. So for organizations that are either very small or for organizations where the number of people identifying as BIPOC is very small, we understand that people might be hesitant. So we did not set ourselves uh, a goal of 100% participation. We wanted to have as high a percentage as possible. And I think um, the, the responses are representative of the larger um, uh, employee, the workforce of Enrich Chicago's organizations. And before we get into the uh, actual findings themselves, um, Nina Sanchez, uh, how much persuading did you have to do to get this done? <laughs> oh, there was a there was a lot of emails from me to uh, individual leaders of organizations to individual staff members of organizations who I had relationships with. Uh, leveraging our community of arts and culture uh, workers that have participated in enriched anti-racism education sessions over the last uh, three years in particular. And um, yeah, so so I was very much uh, following up with people actively um, to, to try to elicit as many responses as possible and making clear to our um, institutional leaders, those CEOs, executive directors, artistic directors and so on, that the purpose of this uh, project was to um, take a temperature check to come into greater understanding of um, the impact of our work and how we can continue to do the work together and how Enrich Chicago, an organization that exists to support their learning and change efforts, can also step into a greater alignment with the needs of the community. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. This weekend, we're talking about equity in the arts, among other things. 
My guests are Nina Sanchez, Director of Enrich Chicago, and Dr. An Tang Daosha, uh, a, a lead researcher for a study that uh, has looked into exactly how the policies and the intentions of people in the arts community are being translated into reality. And this is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Uh, and I, I want to hear from both of you on this about the highlights of the uh, the findings themselves. I mean, here we are, you know, three years after uh, George Floyd's killing in Minneapolis and the nationwide unrest that triggered all kinds of talk about racial equity and pledges for change. So uh, talk about what the study did find. Uh, and maybe you can start off, Nina. Sure, I'm happy to start off with some of those those key learnings. I think the the first uh, key learning is that um, was an affirmation of of uh, what we suspected might be the case, uh, which is that those public equity statements um, that were made after June of 2020 uh, did not um, always lead to intentional actions, and that was um, at a rate of 50% of, of the people who responded to this inquiry stating that their institution had made a public racial equity statement. Um, only 36% of those people understood that there was an action plan to back up a statement, and more importantly, that 80% of those people um, said that that statement existed um, and was public um, to uh, people in arts and culture and beyond, um, and and that while the statement was more likely to be public, those action plans and, and next steps were frequently not um, accessible um, to them as staff of those institutions or to the public community of Chicago. So that was that was finding uh, number one. <clears throat> the second finding that I found really interesting because a lot of the work in Rich Chicago does is around anti-racism learning, right? How do we um, open up um, uh, our, our thinking to include uh, hidden narratives to uh, understand the way that inequities are baked into our institutions and have been for millennia. Um, so the finding that pointed to these uh, equity trainings um, being more effective for staff leaders, so people who are not in management or executive leadership roles, than for, uh, for the executive leaders of those institutions was really interesting to me. Um, because uh, to participate um, in Enrich Chicago, to commit to Enrich Chicago means that uh, institutional leaders uh, make this a practice and that they make a practice within their institutions to continually support staff members as they engage with these learning opportunities so that they can collectively steward this work, right? They can say the words and, and mean the same things. They can have access to some of the same tools and ideas for how do you make change in your organizations. And so I thought it was pretty striking that 40% of the respondents um, knew that their leadership had taken this kind of workshop and that only 26% thought that uh, they'd implemented changes as a result of that experience. Hmm. Uh, I, Dr. Ahn, I want to call on your experience at doing this kind of research, not just in Chicago. Were the findings along those lines and, and about having intentions and not necessarily plans is that something you see all the time or were we an outlier in Chicago? Yeah, definitely not an outlier. I always say that in order to um, make changes in racial equity, 
um, you need more than good intention because that good intention, sometimes good intention can result in disastrous um, impact um, for a lot of historically oppressed uh, communities. And so what we are measuring in racial equity uh, outcomes, and we, I always um, believe that people might come in with the best of intention, but if the impact um, it's not showing that intention, then um, that intention matters very little. So in, in this case, what we are looking for is um, uh, symptomatic or proxies that would show us how um, the intention result in impact on the individual, on the, uh, on the organization, and on communities. But the finding around leaders uh, uh, training being less effective than staff training was a little bit of a surprise for me as well because the field of DEI has invested a lot in trainings for leaders. There's um, um there's this belief that uh, leaders buy-in is absolutely necessary in order to enab enable change because they are the ones making decisions. But we also know that leaders only know about seven percent of the problems that exist in an organization. If you move down to like director level mid management, they know about nine ten percent of the problems and it's actually the people who are on the ground doing the work who understand that they are 90 who understand and see 97 percent of all the problems that exist in an organization so if you think with that in mind then it is actually not a surprise to know that if you equip right the people on the ground doing the work um on a day-to-day -day basis with the understanding um and give them the chance to make changes that the change will come faster than if it if it was top down um from leadership um, is it and, also and I, it's a, a marrying of, of a different a way of thinking about problem solving in the organization? Indeed. Is it also uh, uh, an outcome of the, I, I would assume the fact that the people at the uh, at the top, the leadership of these organizations are, to put it um, politely, less diverse than the people who are working for them, that uh, these are people who have less of a contact with uh, with uh, communities of black and brown people. Yes, I think I think that is uh, a fact that leadership in arts and culture um, is less diverse than the workers in, in arts and culture. And that is not just in Chicago, that is across the board. Um, I think which is why there was such a big movement in um, in arts and culture to diversify leadership, right? Um, but if you put a, a, a leader of a diverse background in a position um, in an organization and keep all the systems and practices and policies the same, I think you are setting up that person to fail. Um, so the change in leadership has to be coupled with changes in practices and policies has to be um, coupled with empowering the people again on the ground in order to voice, right? Give them the psychological safety in order to voice the concerns and problems that they see and enable them to make changes. Um, and then this way you will have that top-down approach of like, okay, a decision needs to be made today. Let's make it faster than what we have done so far. But uh, we also have the right people executing the changes on the ground. Nina Sanchez, I want to touch on a couple of other issues that uh, were raised in this study uh, that you you touched on earlier. Uh, the first is uh, the compensation. Uh, and it it seems as if there were differences in those policies and things when it came to staffers, that there were differences in how 
staffers who might have been uh, had differences within, you know, not just their racial differences uh, being compensated and uh, and also investment in local communities, which is the, the topic that we broached last time. And it seems that there's not a whole lot of change there either. Well, I think one thing that is that's really interesting around this uh, that 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 on and Asif were able to do with the with the data that was shared was really take a deep dive into understanding and getting at some of the complexity of how these experiences show up for for different groups of human beings. Yes, uh, and that is a. a within racial groupings, across racial groupings, but also across other dimensions of our identity. So, so being able to, to pull on, on these learnings specifically around uh, Black people who identify as LGBTQIA+, having a very um, distinct experience around their workplace experiences and safety uh, in their in their workplaces or a sense of being compensated adequately, I think is uh, I was thrilled that we could get to that level of understanding, um, and I think calls us to really uh, start to think more expansively. Right? How do we do race and um, sexual identity? How to do race and gender, um, and so on? Because we know that these things all work together. Right? They they um, they all work together to produce these these different outcomes and experiences. And so as institutions think about what it means to be uh, hiring equitably, right? they also need to think about what does it mean then to compensate equitably based on the caliber of experience that somebody is bringing to this role. And I think some of the, an, an easy example is, is if someone speaks a foreign language, right? a language other than English, and uh, we, we expect them to, um, to if they speak a language other than English, uh, we the expectations they get hired, but they're not paid any differently than anybody else who doesn't speak any other languages, right? But they do have an additional body of work that they're expected to take on. So that's a really example, uh, a really simple example of how we can be a little bit more intentional um, to to get at some of those nuances and be able to compensate people fairly based on their all of the the full breadth of their experience and skills. Let me, before we run out of time, uh, talk about some of the recommendations. And I think the biggest one is actually have a plan. Uh, can, we, can we talk about that a little bit? Yes, I think that um, in the work in Rich Chicago has done with not just our member organizations, but other institutions across the arts and culture space, that is often been one of the recommendations that we make. And we understand that there is um, that there is some sensitivity around plans like this and making uh, plans like this visible because of public perception, uh, because we are now operating in a, an environment that is highly polarized with some with a changing legal landscape around some of the kinds of conversations we can have and the kinds of change we can make. Um, However, that is uh, something that would go a very long way in continuing to build through uh, to trust and accountability to impacted communities, BIPOC people in Chicago, make the plan uh, in rich Chicago uh, exists to help people understand how they make those plans and how they make those plans together uh, and alongside people in their institutions at all levels of leadership so they can have a collective ownership and collectively steward um, those action plans. Um, because it, it cannot just be one person, right? We, we lose a person from a team and there's a high churn rate across all sectors right now, but we lose a, 
we can lose a one person and we can lose a whole body of work if we we continue to rely on those kind of traditional understandings of what it means to be a leader and the thought that it should just be this one person, right? But we really encourage the building of a team to formulate these plans, share the plans and provide regular follow-up on those plans, not just to their internal community members, but to their external community members. And there's some institutions in and around Chicago in the arts who, who have done that. And I think they do that very well. And just briefly, uh, Dr. Ahn, um, in your experience, when people are intentional about creating those plans, do they work? Yes, they do. And I think it's because um, it allows leaders to also learn through the process, right? When you are being transparent, when you share, um, and when you share both what you're planning to do, but also your learnings along the way, you allow yourself and your organization to adjust. If you don't do that, then you don't know where you need to fix things. Um, so I think as with all improvement, um, the more transparency you can bring in and the more intentional you can be, uh, the better you know what needs to be improved upon. Thank you very much. And that's going to be our last word, although it won't be the last word, because clearly we have shown uh, Nina Sanchez that we need to uh, keep, an, keep an eye on these things. And so we will make sure we get back together again to uh, to see if there is real change in the next three years. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that there will be, and I would love to talk about it again. That is Nina Sanchez, Director of Enrich Chicago, and Dr. Antang Dao Shah, the Head of Creative Equity Research Partners. For our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website, wbbmnewsradio.com. There's a link on the homepage. You can also find our podcast on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of that issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 105.9 WBBM. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.